Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia, called Calvary 316. There's really not much special about the 316 part. We are really located on Highway 316, and if you're local, you know that Highway 316 comes off of 85, which bridges off of Atlanta, heading north. 316 cuts you east to Athens, and so we are located on that road, Calvary 316. Now, I will admit that there are some wonderful uh, 316 verses in Scripture uh, as well. If you're local, check out our website, which is calvary316.com. Our service is at 1030, and we'd love for you to come check us out and be a visitor, be a guest uh, one of these upcoming Sundays. One of the most important aspects of the Outlaw Radio Show, and I know sometimes this gets old, reiterating it every single show, but it's, it's still it's so important. And that's our desire, really my desire, to connect with you, the listening audience. It's, it's a, a real pivotal part of what we're doing with the show. Uh, meaning, if you have any questions, uh, whether it be theology, ethics, it really doesn't matter. But if you have a question, or let's say you hear something on this show uh, that you're wanting to challenge, or for that matter, uh, you want to submit topics, things that you would like us to discuss, us to discuss uh, over the last uh, few weeks. We've actually had two episodes completely dedicated to addressing things that you've written in uh, inquiring about. Uh, Literally, there's nothing off limits. We want to hear from you. We want feedback. And then we want to take that feedback and incorporate it really into the show. So I want to kind of lay out here just a few ways that you can reach us. Uh, First, there's email. Email is super easy probably the easiest of all of the ways. Our email address is info at outlawradio.org. Once again, that's info at outlawradio.org. Um, if you're into Facebook, um, our Facebook page, find us, like us. Uh, we post a lot of cool stuff on the Facebook. Uh, the easiest way is just go facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. That'll bring you directly to our page. And then also our Twitter page, is or our Twitter handle is at radio underscore outlaw uh, at radio underscore outlaw and so go find us on Twitter um, uh, like us follow us and uh, and utilize all these different ways to stay connected uh, as I mentioned frequently we also have a phone number it's the church phone number but we also use it for the radio show the phone number is six seven eight 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 three 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 one six you can leave a voicemail we would ask that you keep that voicemail. Uh, pithy, and if you do, we might just play it on the air. I do hope that you stay with me over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perception uh, that the world has of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and genuine way. And today's episode, we're going to actually talk about race. We're going to talk about race. And so, I'd like to welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show a dear friend of mine, Pastor Tony Clark. Tony, welcome to the show. God bless you, and I'm honored to be on. Well, we're going to be talking about something that, in American culture today, is is quite toxic, and that's the issue of race. And there's really no one that I know that I would want on the show to talk about this particular topic uh, other than you. But I think what would be important for the audience, because a lot of the audience might not know who you are, uh, might not know anything about you or your background. So could you just take a few minutes and just kind of tell the audience a little bit about yourself, where you were born, where you grew up, what your family was like? Did you go to church? Give a little bit of a, a quick testimony. Uh, yeah, you know, I grew up in uh, Gary, Indiana, um, you know, we were raised to go to church, uh, so as a uh, little boy, we went to church. But the thing about church in our community, it was something that you did on Sunday, but Monday like Sat- Monday through Saturday, you lived like you wanted to live. So you go to church on Sunday, uh, Monday through Saturday, you live like the devil. And, you know, but as long as you were on church, in church on Sunday, that's what mattered. So that was... Christianity in the community uh, that I grew up in, uh, but what happened is uh, the Lord began to do a work in me when I was about 18 um, years old, 
uh, God began to stir my heart to want to read the Bible. And I didn't know why. Uh, then I started reading it with my girlfriend. And, um, and then after that, we went off to college. Um, my girlfriend got pregnant um, in college. We were not believers. And I went into the Marine Corps to take care of my family. So I left college where I was on an academic scholarship, and I um, went to the Marine Corps to take care of my family. It was in the Marine Corps that God really got a hold of my heart when I went to Okinawa, Japan. And uh, there was a Marine assigned to check me into the island there, and he shared the gospel with me, uh, and I gave my life to the Lord. And so that's how I accepted the Lord when I was in Okinawa, Japan, when I was in the Marine Corps. So you get saved in the service, which, by the way, I just want to thank you so much for uh, the sacrifice you've made to protect our freedoms and our liberties. Uh, but you went, you went in to provide for your family. You get saved while you're there. How did you end, how did you end up in the ministry? Like, how did, how did that happen? Well, you know, um, when I gave my life to the Lord, the Lord began to work very rapidly in my life um, I had a um, just an incredible desire to read and study the Word and everything dealing with the Word. I used to stay up late at night over there in the barracks uh, uh, over in Okinawa. I would stay up late at night and read the uh, Unger's Bible Dictionary. Uh, this is a Pharisee. This is a Sadducee. I'm like, who are these people? And I would, <laughs> and I would just read the Bible Dictionary. I would consume the Word of God. Um, within a couple of months, um, you know, the Lord began to work in me. I started teaching Bible studies. I didn't know much. All I knew is I was blind, but now I see, and I taught it. And so within within six months, the Lord had called me into ministry. Uh, Within nine months, the Lord shared with me that he was going to make me a senior pastor. Um, I was over in Okinawa, Japan for one year. Once I returned to the state, um, I was going to a church in Oceanside, California, where I was one of the assistant pastors. So God worked very rapidly in my life. Let me back up one step in your story, um, because I'm curious. So you did go to church as a kid. What kind of church was it? Was it an all-black church? Was it a an ethnically mixed? Yeah, it was a, a it was. Uh, you know, traditional black church, Baptist church, uh, missionary Baptist church, where the majority of uh, black people go to. Um, and it was the traditional church that was there, um, you know, typical kind of services, um, you know, typical kind of preaching. And it was just something that my uh, family um, went to and, and it was what we did. Now, when you ended up in Oceanside, you've gotten saved, the Lord has stirred, given you a calling. So now you're here, you're in Oceanside, California, um, and you plug into a church, you become an assistant pastor. Was that church an all-black church, or was it ethnically yeah, mixed? Yeah, it was. You know, it, was an, um, it was an all-black Pentecostal church um, that I was an assistant pastor in for about four years. At that particular time, me being in Oceanside, I was still in the Marine Corps, and uh, I had an hour drive uh, from where I lived to, uh, uh, to get to the part of Camp Pendleton that I worked at, and I was listening to a radio station called K-Wave, uh, which is a Calvary Chapel radio station. And um, I had never heard teaching like that before. All I've heard was preaching. That's interesting, preaching. I've never heard teaching, teaching through the Bible verse by verse. I've never heard that in my life before. And, um, and I started getting fed through the teaching of the Word of God. And so after praying for two years at um, uh, that uh, Pentecostal church, uh, I used to pass Calvary Vista in Vista, California, to get to the church in Oceanside. So finally, I will start going to the early service at Calvary Chapel and then go to the later service at the uh, Pentecostal Church. And so finally, after two years, um, the Lord said, no man can serve 
uh, two masters, and then I um, left the, the Black Pentecostal Church and started going to Calvary Vista. Let me ask you a, uh, and, and we're going to be dealing with topics that are are quite sensitive. Um, but to be totally real, did you ever feel here you are now at Calvary Vista? Did you ever feel out of place being a black man involved in an evangelical church movement that was predominantly white, like Calvary Chapel? Did you ever feel out of place with it? Yeah, you know, um, I, I did. But you know, let, let me just say, God had prepared. Uh, my wife and I, because when we, uh, Gary, Indiana is predominantly all black. And so, but when we went to college, I had a white roommate, she had a white roommate. And so we began to understand uh, a culture outside of the black community. And so mm. God began to prepare us, uh, at, you know, in college at that time. So when we left to go to Calvary Vista, uh, of a church of about 3,000 at the time, there were five black people at the entire church. My wife and I were two of the five. <laughs> right. So, however, we didn't, we, we didn't feel too much out of place uh, because God had prepared us years before how to deal uh, with a culture outside of the black community. So we, it was a little out of place. Uh, our kids going into children's ministry, that was different, uh, going to where they were the only black kids in the children's ministry. That was all kind of different uh, for us, but I knew that we were going to be fed the word of God, and I knew that's where God wanted us to be as a family. What kind of, uh, you talk about being kind of prepared for this, um, I, I'd have to imagine that being in the Marine Corps also had to have um, helped with that preparation. Would that be safe to say? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, the, the Marine Corps helped as well where um, we began to uh, integrate with, you know, all cultures in the Marine Corps, uh, which helped to uh, solidify what God was doing when we were in college. So we began to deal with all kind of cultures uh, in, in the Marine Corps. And there were people uh, who were white, who were brought up in all white areas uh, that were not used to blacks. And, and there was some clashing, um, you know, back there in the, the mid-'80s. There was clashing uh, that took place, and all that just prepared us um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm glad that you brought that yes. up. Well, let's fast forward the story. So you're at Calvary Chapel Vista, and can you explain kind of the process that got you to Newport News, Virginia? Um, yes, you know, so after two years of being there, um, you know, um, after two years of being there, uh, then I knew what God had told me years earlier that I was going to be a senior pastor. So God really began to stir my heart in that area. And there was a guy who left our church in 1991 to go uh, come here to Virginia Beach to start a Calvary Chapel, and his name was Joey Baran. So Joey Baran started a Calvary in Virginia Beach. We were good friends. And so he, uh, he would say, hey, man, there's a need for a Calvary Chapel out here. And there are people who are driving an hour, hour, 15 minutes to come to uh, the Calvary Chapel in Virginia Beach uh, because they're familiar with Calvary Chapels. So I said, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came out here to visit the area, and I saw the people who were driving uh, hour, hour, 15 minutes to go to Virginia Beach. And, um, I'm used to in California, there's a, there, there can be 10 Calvary chapels in a five mile radius. I'm used to seeing Calvary chapels everywhere. And here in Virginia, there was a Calvary chapel in Virginia Beach. There was not another Calvary chapel until you get to almost DC, uh, which is like three hours away. And I, that was unheard of for me. So I went back uh, to California. Joey Baran contacted me again and said, hey, bro, we got more calls from this area, an 
hour, 15 minutes away who won a Calvary Chapel. So I came back out here a second time. I met with about 15 people, and all of a sudden, I, and still to this day, I don't know why I said it, I told them in August of 94, I said, look, September next month, I'm going to come out to start a Calvary Chapel out here. Now, mind you, I got to go back to Calvary. I got to go back to California and tell my wife what I just did. <laughs> right, so, right. So, so I went back out, told her, and September of '94, uh, we came out here to start uh, the Calvary Chapel out here. Now, over the years, the Lord has done an amazing work uh, in in your church. Could you kind of describe what the racial makeup looks like today? Yeah, you know, because uh, it has gone through uh, some changes. When we first started the church, the church was 98% white for about two years. Uh, and then um, for a six-year period, we moved to another area um, that was more middle-upper-class uh, area that we moved in because that was the only place we can get a location that, um you know, that will allow for a church to be in their location. And then our church for six years uh, was 70% white, 20% black, 5% Korean, and 5% Hispanic. Then we moved uh, to the area of Newport News in June of 2002. And then the church uh, really began to be very mixed racially, it was about 65% white, 30, about 35% black, and, and about 5% all kind of other races. We had over 34 different countries in attendance at our church to where we were translating uh, the messages into Spanish, Key Swahili, uh, Korean, and French. And we did that for several years. Um, uh, from 2002 until about 2010. Um, and then 2010, there was a transition that took place. Um, you know, some, some drama occurred in the church. Um, and we, we saw, um, a lot of the whites leave. Uh, I had to let go some people and we, they took some folks with them. Uh, and it was a very challenging time. Um, and, and then the church changed racially again. So today we still have about 30 different countries in attendance at our church. But if you will look with the naked eye, it will look more African American. But when you talk to them, they may be from the Dominican Republic. They may be from some country in Africa or something of that nature. Um, you know, but it is still very racially mixed. When you when you first started Calvary Chapel Newport News, how many other black pastors did you know in the Calvary Chapel movement? Well, uh, I was the first black senior pastor Calvary Chapel on the East Coast, and so I was really trailblazing at that particular time. Uh, there was another guy that I knew who started the first black Calvary Chapel in Compton back in 1990, uh, back in 19, it uh, was the early 90s that he did, and he, he, he was there for about five, about five years, the late, matter of fact, it was the late 80s, um, and he uh, was there for about five years, and then he transitioned uh, out, um, but there was not a lot of black senior pastors within Calvary Chapel, it was just one or two uh and that was associated with the whole movement. Yeah, I bring I bring this up because I think it's it's important for some context, especially if the audience doesn't know you, doesn't know your church, to just kind of understand that you really do have a, a unique perspective because of the the background uh that that you discussed, you know, growing up in an all black area, but having experiences in college and then the Marine Corps and then starting your ministry at an all black church, but then over time and end up in this Calvary Chapel movement that that is to, even today, um, while there's there's more minorities involved, we, we to be fair, I mean, we're probably predominantly uh, white when it comes to evangelical movements. 
Oh, no doubt. Calvary Chapel is still predominantly white, hands down. Let me let me ask you, you talked about the racial makeup of your church, um, and, and you gave, I thought, some really good history. But today, what's the racial makeup of your church staff? Oh, the church staff, uh, we still, we have a mixed uh, race, uh, mixed races on staff, but it is, it is at this particular moment, it is still uh, predominantly black. However, we do have other races uh, that as part of my secretary uh, is Puerto Rican. I have um, a, a white assistant pastor. Um, and so I, there's still a mix racially, uh, but the majority uh, is uh, black. You had mentioned, and you don't have to go into any details if you, if you want. I'm going to kind of get off script a little bit, but but I have to kind of return to one thing that you made, a point that you made, that um, that your church ended up going, experiencing a change, a transformation of sorts, primarily because uh, a bunch of white people left because you had to let go of what I would assume to be some some of the, the the white folks on staff. Do you want to kind of elaborate what you meant by that or just get into that at all? Well, it, you know, that's exactly what happened because I had to let go. The guys, the pastors, I had to let go. They were all white except one, and um, and they were leaders. Leaders lead. And so they took three to 700 people with them, um, and it was, uh, you know, kind of a dark time. One thing that, you know, uh, blacks talk about that goes on in the black community is that whenever a black person um, uh, began to be somewhat successful in life, he will move to a part of the uh, city or a part of a, of a neighborhood that is more upscale, out of the inner city, more upscale um, and normally when that begins to happen, we have a term that we use. It's called white flight, um, that a black will move in, and all of a sudden the whites next to them will begin to put up for sale signs, and they begin to move out, uh, and we call it white flight. So when I had to let go of those uh, guys in uh, 2010, uh, we saw white flight take place, um, you know, with the church. And so the majority of the whites that left, um, you know, that, that brought that white population down, uh, at our church. And then, uh, when God began to bless again in 2011 to 2012, our church grew by a thousand people. Uh, but the thousand people that it grew by was more African American people that it grew by. Was the de- was the departure just to be clear? Uh, do you think that there was any racial motivation behind it? Uh, no. Okay, because, I just um, to be I clear. Had, yeah, I had to. I mean, I was their uh, pastor. Many of them. I was their pastor for ten to fifteen years. Okay. So, so it wasn't a, a, a racial thing, but um, you know, it it will begin to look like now. We did have some people. Who's, who were white, they have come out and said with their own mouth, and I heard about it, that our church was becoming too black, and so they left as a result of that. Why do, you, why do you believe, with your perspective, your context, that the American church, and I, and I want to limit it to just the American church, because if we talk about the church with really broad strokes, um, this would not be as applicable, um, but with the American church... Why do you think we're so segregated? You know, Martin Luther King uh, once said that Sunday is the most segregated day in America. And while so many of our social institutions in America have progressed, it seems like the church has been the last to embrace that particular change. It still remains the most segregated uh, day of the week. Why do you think that that is? You know, and and I've had a lot of time uh, to talk about it in, in order to think this through. And and I'm telling you what it is, is that it's still the most segregated hour in America because people build their churches around their culture, so only their culture will come. Therefore, there is a sound, a musical sound, that is associated with every culture. There is a 
salsa merengue sound with the Hispanic culture. There is a gospel R&B sound with the black culture. There's a sound that is associated with um, the the white culture, the acoustic guitar, strumalumalum, that's, that's Calvary Chapel, white culture. Therefore, if you build your church around your culture and you play a sound of music that your culture is accustomed to, it will draw your culture. And therefore, many churches think that they are multicultural because different Races may come there and all the time, and notice the difference I'm about to make. Notice they, for the most part, they are multicolored and not multicultural. That really is an interesting thought I've never heard before. All because they got some other cultures there, they feel we're multicultural. No, you're not. You're multicolored. You have church a certain way, and you're saying if you want to do church with us, this is how we do it. And there's a difference in being multicultural and multicolored. And so people build their churches around their culture. So when they come in and they hear a acoustic guitar, more whites are going to come. If they hear a R&B gospel choir, black folks are going to come. They hear a salsa merengue kind of sound or a liturg- uh, liturgical kind of then uh, Hispanics will draw around that Catholic kind of kind of thing. So that's, this is why 11 o'clock is still the most segregated hour, because instead of them trying to be multicultural, they're being who they are. They build their church around their culture. Then only their culture comes. I'm going to come back to that to that idea, because that, that really does play into some other questions. But with about um, the minute 30 that we have before we have to take a, a hard break, Uh, Do you believe that there's a real stigma in the black community if someone chooses to attend what's perceived to be a white church? Yeah, you know, in in certain parts, we're trying to get better with that. However, it's still a stigma that is within the the black community um, because the mindset, do you think you're better than us? And um, uh, our churches are not good enough for you. Uh, who do you think you are? That's still that's still around today. It's still around today. Well, we're going to go ahead and, and take a break, but we'll be right back with more here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Thanks for listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Pastor Zach and special guest Pastor Tony Clark. Be sure to stay with us for part two of the Outlaw Radio Show. Here's Zach Adams and special guest Pastor Tony Clark. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm joined with a dear friend, Tony Clark, and we're talking about race, talking about race in the context of church. And Tony, I want to kind of start off this next segment by asking, do you believe that you have to be black to minister to the black community? You know, um, you know that's a very good question. Uh, and I guess the, the, the first question that I will ask is, what does it mean to be black? Um, you know, I know that I had to really come to grips when I came here, because I came here from California. All I knew was Calvary Chapel, Cal- Southern California ministry. That's all I knew. So um, I was somewhat afraid to really be me uh, and who God made me, uh, because I thought I had to fit into a Calvary Chapel mold in order to minister. And God really had to set me free and and say, I made you who you are. I heard someone put it this way, that God doesn't bless actors. He doesn't anoint actors. He, he anoints people who are true to themselves. Be true to who I made you to be. Therefore, uh, I, I was free to be me and to teach in the way that God made me. I'm very demonstrative. I'm very... And, and because I had my uh, start in children's church, I, I used different voices and inflections and all. And I was just, set, once I was set free to be me, I was set free. And so I didn't feel that I had to fit into a certain mold 
uh, to try to be effective. I thought that at first, but when God set me free, I was free indeed. Well, but back to the question, and I, and I don't mean to, to, to probe here, but you, you kind of answered with, well, what does it mean to be black? And you place that obviously within your own your own particular context, but from from a broader standpoint, there there is, and you know a little bit of my background, and you know where where I live, and and where I come from. But there really, but there really is a. Um, I, I really want to find out if if there's any if there's any truth to it to the notion that the only people that that the black community are going to accept as a minister is someone that looks like them. I, I like to think that's not true. But I'd like you to address that. Yeah, you know what? And I'm glad that you, you brought that up. Uh, but that's not the case anymore. Uh, you know, in a, in a broader sense, um, you still will have some who will feel that they only um, can be ministered to by someone uh, who looks like them because they understand the struggle um, and, you know, but now that I think about that, it's starting to rev back up a little bit because of the racial tension in our country. And so they will look at someone white and they will say, you know what, you don't understand the struggle. You don't understand what we're going through. So I need to go somewhere that somebody uh, is going to uh, uh, address things from my perspective. And you know what? To be honest with you, I heard about a lot of uh, Calvary Chapel pastors who were very insensitive uh, about, um, you know, when uh, President Obama was in office and they would trash him. And um, and they, you got to understand, you know, I understand they were looking at things from a biblical perspective and that kind of thing. But from a black, from the black community, it's like, you know. We never thought we would see with our eyes a man who looks like us in the White House. So, but a white person don't understand that perspective. So they were trashing him uh, from the pulpit, and the blacks sitting there are like, "What are you? Why are you doing that?" And 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 therefore they will leave and say, "I need to go to a church that's going to understand our struggle." So that mindset was leaving and now is revving back up where folks are saying today, you know what, I, I just need somebody who can understand me. But there's been people, there's been a few, because I didn't deal with, you know, Black Lives Matter and all that kind of stuff from the pulpit. They left our church because I refused to deal with those issues. Uh, from the pulpit, and I told him, I said, you know what, black people are not the only ones in this church. That really does, that opens up a whole a whole new direction that I, I just kind of want to organically roll with. Um, one of the questions that I had written down that I, I'd love your advice on, uh, you're just your insights, uh, and this is how I crafted it. While research demonstrates that most black Americans are socially conservative, uh, you know, you look at the positions on abortion or illegal immigration, gay marriage, etc., why then has the black community and specifically the black church become so intertwined with the democratic party whose platform is the exact opposite on all those social issues? You know, it, you know what that goes back to? That goes back to just tradition. Number one, number two, it goes back to, uh, somewhat of, I won't say an ignorance of history. I would just say, um, not knowing the history of the uh, Democratic Party and how it was the Republican Party that was really, um, you know, uh, for the black people back in the day and really uh, headed up the whole thing as far as trying to end slavery. Uh, but because traditionally black people have been uh, Democrats, um, then, you know, that's just what they go with. They just, this is just who we are. It's just who we are. Well, what about the issues? Well, no, this is who we are. And then I will blame a lot of it on a lot of churches in the black community, not all, but a lot, are not teaching the Word of God. Therefore, there's an ignorance of what the Word of God uh, has to say on different issues. Therefore, they just left to just figure things out on their own and go with their tradition. We're tradi uh, traditionally... Uh, Democrat, therefore, that's who we are, and that's how we're going to do this. 
And, but if they got taught what the Word of God has to say, how uh, life begins at conception, when they begin to be taught what the Word of God has to say based upon Psalm 139, and when they get taught the Word, a lot of these things will change. But, you know, most churches in the community I grew up in, it's all about the choir. It's all about give me some good hoop, entertain me. Um, but as far as being taught, no, there's no no real teaching going on. It's just some preaching and some entertainment. And it's you a fast. Tony, you know, you mentioned the historical angle. And, and while there is no question that it was the black church and specifically black pastors that led, really spearheaded the civil rights movement, and that is to absolutely be commendable. I mean, that was being salt and light. But my question is, do you believe the unintended consequences of this was that the black church became more focused on changing America as opposed to proclaiming a coming kingdom? Oh, hey, I couldn't have said that no better. Um, you know, it, it, it was at the church, the black church, was where people got informed, they got um, somewhat encouraged to, uh, you know, keep fighting, um, you know, keep, you know, uh, keep doing what you're doing. It was at the black church that they got information. So it was, the black church became this social thing, and it left what it should have been, which is a, a proclaiming of the gospel. And a lot of that is because, um, you know, blacks couldn't, they were not free uh, to to talk to white America or to even be heard by white America. So, therefore, the true uh, meaning of the church, which is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they couldn't really, really, they couldn't really um, carry that out because of the Jim Crow laws and, and the things that were going on, the dogs being sipped on them, you know, the water hoses and, and all kind of crazy stuff, and they had to look down and had to be called boy and couldn't look up at white people and the Klan and being lynched. And it's just craziness. So, therefore, the church began to not preach the gospel, but it started to start going for social reform. Well then, let me let me let me ask today. Then, why, why are the vast majority of black churches, and, and if I state this incorrectly, please uh, amend this. But just from my Atlanta context, why are the vast majority of black churches dominated today by prosperity gospel? Well, you know what, and, and you're right. Um, I just saw a statistic the other day. I was reading an article, and how it said that 51 percent of the black churches believe in the prosperity uh, gospel. And uh, I just saw that just uh, yesterday. Um, you know, it's, it's because black people historically uh, never had much. Um, you know, if you look at any inner city, um, it, it's, you, you don't see a lot of... Uh, prosperity. <laughs> a lot of prosperity, yes. Right. You, you, yeah, it struggles. I mean, just look at how where you live right now and how things have changed uh, in the community. Look at where uh, uh, the church you came from. Look at that community from when you were in high school and then look at that community today. Things have changed. And, and so um, because, you know, black people have never really had much historically, to hear that there is a God that wants to bless them and the blessing is material, they're all for it. They, they, they want a nice car like they see the whites have. They want a nice house like they see white people have. They want to have money and material things like they historically have seen white people have always had it better. Therefore, here is a Christian way to get those things. Sign me up. Where to sign me up? Sign me up for that. And that's well, pretty much what it is. Could you compare and contrast the needs of the black urban community with those of white suburbia? Like, where are they similar, but where do they differ? You know, I think that there's a, a, a similarity spiritually where we all need Jesus. That's, Amen. That, that's one thing that we all need. Um, you know, but what has happened is, is that now we, we have available to us, to the black community, ways by which we can uh, 
I'm looking at it from a natural perspective, pull our own stuff up by our own bootstraps. We can go to school. We can, you know, uh, get grants and things to go to college to better our education, to get a better job. We have those things available uh, to us, and some people afford themselves to that which is available to them, and some uh, choose not to. Some choose to live off of the, the system, uh, to abuse the system, um, and some have chosen uh, to, to do that for uh, whatever reason, and they're able to get something for nothing, and that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants something for nothing. Nobody wants to really work for anything, and, and that will go across white, black, or whatever. People just want something for nothing. I, I want to ask you kind of a question as it pertains, and this might be really, for lack of a better way of describing it, a, a super whitey Fox News question, mm-hmm. um, but but I think it, I think it's important. I, I really am interested in your your take. But do you believe that the way the mainstream media presents racial tensions in America accurately reflects the true state of things on the ground, or is this just, um, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, astroturfing? Is it is it fake? Do you really think that the way race race relations are are being presented right now is true? Uh, yeah, I do think it's true, but I think what is portrayed by the media will always be sensationalized. It will always be taken to an extreme. However, it's, it's portraying what is going on, especially today, uh, because these now with social media, everyone has a voice, uh, whereas it wasn't like that, um, you know, years ago. Now social media is giving everyone a voice, and because everything gets put on social media, you will have someone say something, oh, I never said that, and then somebody will pull up on social media where <laughs> right. you did say that. Yeah. So yeah. now uh, there are a lot of black people who are just not going to take it anymore. And they said, we don't have to take it. I don't have to call you sir anymore. I don't have to take your mess. And I'm coming right back at you. And now uh, black people feel they have a voice. And because they saw how white America did quote, unquote, their president previously, now that uh, President Trump is in there, and now they're going to go at him with both barrels blazing. And so this is what social media has now given everyone a voice, and now we're hearing from more black people or more white people. We're hearing from more people, period. So, yes, it's, it's race relations, I will say, to me, in my opinion, because of social media, I would say it's been taken back 40 years. Well, then let me let me ask with that. What do you think is the largest driver, then, of race divisions in our country? Well, you know, once again, um, you know, you got – I would say this. Because of the politically correct world we live in, um, things that used to be people just said and you just took it, now people are not taking it. It's, it's not, you offended me. Everybody is so sensitive and touchy-touchy. You offended me with that. You offended me, you know. I'm offended because you're offended. And we just, and so because of that, any little thing now, everyone is offended. So that has taken, well, what did you mean by that? You're racist, you know. And so now people's anger, people are just so angry today and, and it's unfortunate because of social media ha- will blow everything up, not only social media, but uh, the news industry, whether it's Fox, whether it's CNN, with, and they're going to sensationalize it and get people stirred up, angry even more. So, you know, uh, it, it, people are just mad today and angry, and they're saying, I'm not going to take it. Everyone has a voice, and they're going to let it be heard. Well, with that... With that in mind, how can how, how do you believe the church can lead in 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 the attempts to have racial reconciliation in America, or do you even think that's possible? Yeah, with, with, with the Lord, all things are possible. Um, you know, with God, all things are possible, and I just think um, that you know uh, there are churches that are trying to do what they can um, to try to you know hear each other out. Um, and I think that both sides need to, you know, hear each other and not be so ready to, you know, uh, 
jump down their, their throats and understand people, everyone has a context, everyone has a community by which they came out of that helped shape their views. But now we need to need churches that are teaching to give people a biblical worldview and look at people through the eyes of the Lord. This is what Paul said. That a lot of people miss this. Paul said in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 5.16, he says, I know no man after the flesh. He said, I refuse to look at people and judge them based upon the color that I see uh, that they're in. He says, I know no man after the flesh. And therefore, as believers, that's how we got to look at people and 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 we have to know no man after the flesh. I'm not saying we got to erase our cultures and where we came from, but we're not going to judge people based upon their flesh. We we can't do that as believers. But there are a lot of believers, even during the civil rights movement. There's a lot of believers, even during the early part of our history, that you know will go to church and then go hang a slave that afternoon. Yeah, that's craziness. Let me just getting back though to the like the, what the church can do. Uh, let me maybe rephrase the question this way. What advice would you, Tony Clark, give to a white church that feels called, they have a heart, it's genuine, it's sincere to reach the minorities within their own community where they want to create a, a Christ-centered culture that appeals to all different color? Like, like, what advice would you give to that church to bridge the racial divide in their local community? You know, I've talked to some pastors about this, and I told them, I said, this is what you have to do. If you want to reach the black, so if you want to reach any other race outside of your white race, you have to put people of color in visible positions. Because when black people go anywhere, they're automatically looking around to see if there's anybody who looks like them. That's why when I first came to Calvary Vista, that's how I knew there was only five black people in the entire church. Because we look around and see if there's anybody like us who, who is here. But if you have black people in visible positions, like when I came on staff uh, uh, at, at Calvary Vista, then I used to do announcements and stuff. Then uh, that was during the days before video announcements. No, I did announcements. When other black people came to the church, they saw me up there or saw me up do, uh, in prayer or saw me filling in when the pastor was gone. They said, oh, it is okay for us to be here. And that's what, when you begin to put um, uh, black people or people of color in visible positions, then that will put, that will put the people's wall down who comes in and don't think it's just here, just another white church. There's somebody over there that looks like me. Absolutely. Well, listen, Tony, we're, 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 I mean, this flew by. I mean, this was, this was super quick and uh, we're, we're out of time. And so maybe, maybe sometime in the future we can do this again. Would you, would you come back? Oh, I would love to come back. I was just getting started. <laughs> Thanks again, Tony. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to do two things, two important things. I'd ask you to do for me first, please contact your local radio station and tell them that you're thankful that they are carrying outlaw radio in your community. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to go visit our website. Our website is outlawradio.org. Once again, that's outlawradio.org. And the reason I want you to go check out the site is that it's super easy to then get to our podcast. We have a podcast that's available on both iTunes as well as Google play. And what's great about podcasting is that if you're not able to listen to one of these episodes in the car, on the radio, it doesn't mean that you still can't listen to it. You can go uh, to wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can find Outlaw Radio and subscribe. And so today's episode in its entirety, as well as all previous episodes, are always posted. They're there. They're free. You can download them, share them, etc. Additionally, I, I want to once again encourage you to connect with me. On Twitter, our handle is radio underscore outlaw. Send me an email, info at outlawradio.org, or you can follow us via Facebook, The Radio Outlaw. Once again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for The Outlaw Radio Show.
You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.